coronavirus payments, ethanol plant health, laws of unintended consequence, and a little drought talk. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress, and if you hear noise in the background, it's because my home studio continues to be surrounded by an active construction zone. Farmers got news this week that the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, or CFAP, payments are going to be made, and farmers can apply starting May 26th. We connected with Rod Soboda, editor of Wallace's Farmer in Iowa, to get a sense of what those payments might mean for farmers. He also talked about gaps in the program and other issues raised by the pandemic. In the West, cabbages go to food shelves and sheep herders find themselves paying overtime where it may not be needed. Oh, and there's some concern about drought. We caught up with Todd Fichette, Western Farm Press, to discuss those issues and more. We start in Iowa with Rod Swoboda of Wallace's Farmer. Rod, it's been an interesting spring. I mean, obviously, we had one of the best planting springs in Iowa that we've seen in a couple of years anyway, and yet all kinds of other negative things are happening. Why don't you catch us up first on the planting progress in Iowa, and then let's just talk about a couple of the hot topics you and I have been talking about the last couple of days. Well, the planting progress has gone uh, really well, uh, you know, complete uh, opposite of a year ago. And um, that's been colder here and rainier last several days, but things are starting to come out of the ground, get going. That's exciting. So one of the areas that's been interesting, it was just announced this week too, and sign up starts next Tuesday, May 26th, for those listening to the podcast, is the support. Uh, A while back, the Trump administration announced $19 billion in aid, $16 billion of which would be paid to farmers. What are you hearing about that in Iowa? What's the sense of that program? And uh, is there some excitement now that they know what, what the program will actually pay? Uh, yes, there are still a lot of questions about it, too. Um, the uh, uh, they welcome farmers welcome this uh, and uh, the uh, program is designed to provide the 16 billion in direct payments, you know, due, due to the decline in commodity prices caused by the pandemic. So they're asking questions about the details, though, and how those payments will be figured. So the, the sign-up is supposed to start here, or, or will start, on um, Tuesday, May 26th at FSA offices, which are, of course, closed. So of it'll, course. Be done, it'll be done online by phone or U.S. mail. The, uh, uh, I just listened to uh, a press uh, conference by uh, uh, State Iowa, Iowa State Ag Secretary uh, Mike Nag, and uh, he talked about uh, he's – got questions about that too you know will uh will farmers be eligible for they're asking him for uh, the cfap payments if they uh, have you know other programs or other payments for example even crop insurance that they've signed up for and the answer is yes and he pointed out that this is a complex program uh, you're trying to address everything from specialty crops of all kinds all the way across to dairy and the meat sector and and um, and certainly the big crops like corn, soybeans, and cotton. So, so there's many different components to this and, and situations. Uh, these marketing situations, for example, the uh, uh, you know what about the uh, the percentage of the crop that was sold you know before the January 15th uh, deadline here? This this eligibility for CFAP is supposed to be from uh, you know really the first quarter of this year and uh, the January 
uh, deadline is the January 15th. So some farmers were saying, uh, and the way they got the the way the USDA decided on January 15th was because uh, after that is when the coronavirus, uh, you know, pandemic uh, really hit and started taking a toll on demand, the uh, and then and then lower prices. But as some farmers point out. Well, we had lower prices before that, too, you know, due to trade disruptions with uh, disagreements with China and whatnot. So anyway, there there are a lot of questions about this, but uh, they're going to be answered here next next Tuesday. You know, directly when you start going to uh, the uh, AFSA office, they're going to be trained May 22nd. So they're being trained tomorrow. And then, boy, right away on Tuesday, they're going to be answering questions. That's crazy. That's well, and there's a lot to deal with. There is a payment limit on this program, quarter million dollars per entity, I believe. That's the one number that's sticking out in everybody's head. So we'll see how that plays out um, with regard to how this program works out. There was controversy over the Paycheck Protection Program over some major companies getting some of that money. Is there any concern about how this money may be distributed in Iowa? Well, there, yeah, there's. Um, 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 some concern on that too. And as Secretary Neg pointed out, there's nothing in here for uh, uh, egg production. I was a leading producer of eggs. There's nothing in here for the ethanol industry for support for it. Um, and I was a leading uh, ethanol producer. There's 42 ethanol plants in the state. And uh, nationwide, 40% of the nation's corn crop now goes to ethanol. In Iowa, it's 60%. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big concern. Yeah, that's a pretty big gap in the program. There's another gap that's not even covered by CPAP, and it's one we've kind of intimated in the past. You're losing a lot of pigs in Iowa. Uh, depopulation, euthanizing those pigs, whatever you want to call it. How are farmers being compensated for that, or what are you hearing in the, in the field about that conversation? Well, there's been, uh, um, you know, legislation introduced here in Congress to do to to do that to provide some payment. Uh, the uh, uh, National Pork Producers, of course, is headquartered here in Des Moines, and they uh, you know, have lobbied for that uh, very strongly. The um, um, but there's nothing in this CFAP uh, uh, program for uh, to provide payments for euthanasia. No, I don't think so. That wasn't even. Technically, when that program was announced, the meat industry hadn't hit the wall yet. So that's part of the, the gap here. I'm sure USDA is still looking at this. What else are you hearing in the field? I mean, you talk to farmers and, and people all the time. What is the general sense in the middle of this pandemic? What else is top of mind for your readers? The ethanol question yep. is big. Uh, we're going to have another uh, big corn crop here. I mean, based on the amount of acreage that was planted, it was planted early. So, I mean, it's really off to a good start. So uh, th this this CFAP payment is welcome, but they wonder if it's even going to be enough. You know that uh, what 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 lies ahead after that? Yeah, it's a big gap. It's a it's an interesting challenge. So in Iowa, how many of those ethanol plants are even operating? Well, well, there's as I understand, the last I uh, heard, uh, Monty Shaw from Iowa Renewable Fuels Association being interviewed in the news here. Uh, there's like about 12 of them that are actually shut down and, and all of the rest of them, or there's very few of them running at full production. Maybe none of them are now. So they're, they're all at a reduced production. Right. The challenge of the ethanol plant is it's, it's a ferment, fermentation process. If you shut it down, restarting can take a while. So I think they're trying to 
kind of keep the boilers moving, if you know what I mean, to yes. kind of keep something moving through that process. So, but I haven't seen the basis change in Iowa. It's pretty wide for those plants in terms of the price of corn. Um, anything else that you're looking at or covering in Wallace's Farmer that we should be paying attention to? Well, the, something else on the, the the big concern with this what these ethanol plants, as you just brought up, even once we get through the pandemic, I mean, we want enough ethanol plants here still to be, you know, in business yet. Uh, right. uh, several of them here now have uh, merged with uh, uh, other plants. Lincoln Way Energy here in Ames is, is uh, uh, merged with one in Nebraska. So uh, there's uh, uh, just just to, so they can survive financially. What about DDG? I mean, if the plants are slowed down, what are producers doing that had been using DDGs in their feed rations? Oh, that's that—that's a big hassle too, because they've had to reformulate rations and uh, you know look at alternative protein sources, and it's uh, and that's that's re- that's another concern, you know, with the livestock industry. Right. You know, I, I was the nation's uh, you know largest hog producer, and of course the. Uh, this is just another uh, complication for hog producers. I think they've had enough complication, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> any word on the Iowa plants, the meat plants like Waterloo? Where What's the situation with those pl- uh, meat plants in Iowa? Do you have any update on that? Yes, they're slowly coming back online here. But it's, uh, 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 see, three or four weeks ago, total slaughter production, I think, for hogs was only like 45% of capacity. 50%. Well, it's back up now to all oh, maybe like 70, 75% on average. I think 70%, I believe. So uh, anyway, it's it's back, but it's not like, uh, you know, not, not like it was. Well, good. Well, Rod Swoboda, Wallace's Farmer, it's been good chatting with you, catching up on the hot topics in Iowa, and there's plenty to talk about. We'll keep reading about it in wallacesfarmer.com and also in the magazine. You take care, sir. Stay safe. Thank you, Willie. Sometimes when covering farm policy, you end up with more questions than answers. But Rod helped clear up some of that confusion for us, and we thank him. Moving west, we find producers there are dealing with a range of issues. Todd Fachette of Western Farm Press helps fill us in. Todd, it's good to catch up with you. Um, I know you've been on the road. Why don't you give me a sense of what you're seeing in California? Yeah, thanks for having me, Willie. Um, I spent a couple days uh, in California. Um, The state is still semi in lockdown uh, because of the COVID um, issues and and restraints, but um, was able to get on a couple of farms. And one of the growers back there was harvesting cabbage and he'd like to sell it, but there's no market for it right now. And so what what he's doing with that or what he did with that is uh, just donate it to uh, food banks. There's about three food banks in the state that uh, he was donating the cabbages to. And the day I was there, uh, the produce was going in a big rig and its next stop was Oakland. That's amazing. I mean, obviously cabbage keeps really well. So it's something you should buy at the store because you can do a lot with it and it lasts for months, at least weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't, I I don't personally buy it and keep it that long, but um, these were, these were huge heads of, of cabbage. Uh, he said he took a couple home to his wife, and his, his wife commented on the on the size of the cabbage as well. And please don't bring any more home because I don't have enough room for it. Right, um, right. It, it's the loss of the restaurant business that's really hurting everybody out there, right? 
That's that's what I'm told is is um, that was for some folks um, half of their uh, half of their volume was was the uh, was the restaurants and uh, depending on the commodity another significant part of that was the uh, school lunch program. Dairies, for example, had had uh, issues with with that, of course, and uh, and so the the fluid milk just wasn't going into the into the school lunch program, so uh, the processors didn't buy it, and so the dairyman had to dump it. That's yeah, not good. So on the cabbage guy, I mean, his team is harvesting, right? He's got a crew out there. He's not doing it himself. Yeah, exactly. He he had a he had a, a there was a skeleton crew out there. They had already picked it by the time I showed up. Um, so they were putting it into large boxes, okay. and uh, and then these boxes were were going in the back of a refrigerated fifty uh, three foot box. It's interesting. I mean, just keeping social distance on these farms is going to be a challenge. Um, I know that in Colorado they were talking about uh, safe harvesting and doing uh, every other putting people in every other row to make sure they're getting six feet between the workers, which is going to change productivity too. So, yeah, I, I heard some I heard some stories on that, too. I didn't see it. But but what I was told, particularly with the lettuce, um, you know, typically you have this huge crew and they go down the row and, and the lettuce machine moves at, at less than a mile an hour. And uh, and people are working shoulder to shoulder. Well, they couldn't do that. Um, so how do how do they do that? Well, they they thin the crew out and uh, and then they run multiple passes to yeah. uh, to get all the lettuce and uh if they were harvesting lettuce i some of the lettuce and certainly some of it in the uh in the desert regions imperial valley um uh, yuma area of arizona um was tilled under because there was no market for it you're also dealing with something in california that's kind of interesting and this isn't really a pandemic market related deal it's a legal change to overtime rules and how is that impacting one of the growers you talk to um, yeah, a couple of years ago, there was a, a, a new uh, law passed to, um, to address overtime and, and how people in general are, are paid overtime in California. And um, I, I think the idea was to, uh, was to sweep some of agriculture or all of agriculture into it um, because farmers had some legal ways of, of paying their employees, you know, working them more than 40 hours a week. And, uh, and so this law passed in, in, in 2017, went into effect in 19. And uh, basically what it's done with a, a farmer I talked to, the, the guy, guy raises sheep. He's, he's got the, the sheep for, for meat, for protein, mm-hmm. uh, but also for wool. And, uh, and, then, he, and then he raises rams. And, uh, and so he will, um, he will sell the rams as well on the uh, on the open market but he also uses them for um really as an environmental asset to uh reduce excess fuel loads by grazing them in different places um cities will lease these animals to to graze areas uh for um you know for to reduce the fuel load but the overtime rule stems from the sheep herder or, or gets back to the, the sheep herder and how those individuals are employed. California's getting real strict on that. It's, it's going to be eight and 40, um, anything beyond eight hours a day, and you're paid overtime. Well, the sheep herders live out there. Producer I was talking to said he's he's got to figure something out or he's not going to be in business because he can't afford a, a 50% hike in his uh, human relations costs. So that when they're not working the sheep and they're living out in the area, they 
they're being they're considered st- workers. They're still being they still have to be paid under under California law. And at that point, they're being paid overtime because they've gone past their, you know, if if if, if the work, if the sheep herder has worked eight hours, but he or she stays out there. Well, they're still considered on the job, and, and so they're being uh, they're subject to overtime at that point. And uh, I, I spoke with a um, a lobbyist on the phone this morning. He ten- he thinks that this was really an unintended consequence of this uh, this overarching overtime law. And so there's some effort right now uh, through the Wool Growers Association in the state and some other folks to to maybe get an administrative change to this. So that these folks can literally stay in business because if they if they can't get a change to the law, folks like the farmer I spoke with um, will no longer be doing sheep in California. That's fascinating. And yes, I'm I'm guessing there wasn't somebody who just said, well, we got to make sheep herders get paid overtime. I'm sure it was a law of unintended consequences. So hopefully that will get rectified. We'll probably check back with you someday to, to find out. There's another issue brewing in California. We actually kind of touched on it with Tim Hearden a couple of weeks ago in the podcast and uh, your colleague, uh, but it seems to be getting worse. So why don't you talk to me about it? And that is drought, uh, drought out West. Um, it looks like we're not out of the woods. So what's going on with drought in California and Arizona? What are you guys seeing? Yeah, the, uh, the U S drought monitor, I looked at that online. The Northern two thirds of California is in some level of drought right now, whether it's moderate there's a small pocket up in, in Northern California that straddles the Oregon border that is in severe drought right now. Um, but it's a geographically small area. It's not as it's not a large area for um, you know, for California. So you've got you've got that going on in California. And then and then the south third of the state is considered normal right now. It's not in drought, um, but it's not in excess. And uh, it pretty much ditto for Arizona. Uh, the only part of Arizona that, um, according to this drought monitor, that is any in any level of drought is the uh, the northeast corner of the state, which is uh, where uh, the Navajo Nation exists. Mm-hmm. And that's really been in a drought um, for a long time anyway. Um, that northern Arizona into New Mexico and, and, and some of the other uh, areas in the four corners have been in a drought for, for quite a long time. But California and Arizona, most of Arizona is not in a drought. Although I read today that there's probably uh, they're looking at, at 65% of, of average flows on the Colorado River right now, and that's where farmers get their water if they're not pumping it in uh, in Arizona, and then some of that water ends up in California, uh, either used for farms or or sold into San Diego, for example. But as far as California is concerned, you're starting to see some drought conditions again, and and where that's really playing out is. Um, is in what the Bureau of Reclamation declared here a few weeks ago, and I believe Tim talked about this, yeah, the, um, the, the Shasta critical designation. And, and what that does is it paves the way for the Bureau of Reclamation to tell senior water rights holders, you're not going to get all your water this year. It's, it's a legal way in the contract to, uh, to tell those folks that, nope, you're not going to get 100% of your allocation. You're only going to get 75% of your allocation. And then the rest of everybody is is – they're way down the list. But the Bureau did here yesterday, two days ago, um, they told the farmers south of the San Joaquin River Delta that they can now expect to receive 20% of their uh, contracted allocation, which is up from 15%. So they'll get a they'll get a, a couple more inches of water. 
But at this time of year, farmers have already made their decisions. I talked to a farmer yesterday. He says, no, nope, I'm not planting cotton this year at all. And this guy used to plant a lot of it. And so you're seeing a lot of cotton in California um, just go away. Guys who used to have a thousand plus acres of it might have a hundred acres of it or might not have any cotton anymore. And, and that's, and that's due in part to the, to just world markets too. It's not right. entirely on the drought, but, um, but you know, those, those two issues have, have come up to, uh, to hit that industry uh, rather hard. Um, other areas of the state, same thing. They've, they've been told to cut back. Um, there's some growers in one irrigation district in Northern California that were told to, uh, to basically fallow 25% of their land. And these are mostly rice growers. So um, if you got your, if you got your water, your federal water in uh, Glen Clusal uh, irrigation district, you could not plant hundred percent of your land to, uh, to rice this year. Growers on what they call the East side of the Valley, not, not affected as, as, um, as much by that because they get their water elsewhere. And, uh, and so one grower I talked to on the East who has land on both the East side and the West side said, yeah, I had to, you know, we've got less land on, on the West side, but he was going, he was going full tilt on the uh, East side. Ironically, rice is one of those crops. that's actually doing pretty well right now. Um, the rice prices have gone up and we've taken down some of the stocks because it's the one food that's gotten very popular in the grocery stores and good luck finding it. That's for sure. To add on top of your conversation about Northern California, that area into Oregon that you're talking about, there's two big drought areas in Western Oregon and the Klamath Falls area. And, uh, it's as dry as it's been. It's the driest it's been since 2001. And you combine the Environment Endangered Species Act rules and some of the local rules and there are some farmers in that part of the country that aren't going to get water this year so it's a it's a challenge when i start seeing drought in those parts of the world where the water districts are heavily monitored i know that uh, the first choice is sure as heck not agriculture when it comes to a water allocation choice it's it's not been and, and, and it's been it's been that way for for many many years i, I believe it was the uh, central valley project improvement act back in the early 90s that um, that changed that for folks and and uh, the farmers up in the Klamath Basin um, have been fighting this issue for for decades now mm-hmm. um, with uh, with respect to to the water in that area and and uh, one of them sent me an email the other day I guess they had a, a tractor rally uh, up there yesterday yes they and, did uh, and so um, of course I wasn't up there for that but I, I saw some some footage on Facebook. And, you know, the whole lineup of, of tractors, um, all the same color. So that company was probably happy. Um, <laughs> we will not mention that color. Thank you. And, uh, and, but anyway, you know, a whole lineup of tractors and, and, and a few, you know, a few pickups thrown in for good measure. You know, that was just their way of, of saying, hey, look, you're, you're hurting us and yeah. we don't like it. Yeah, it's tough out there. Well, it's been great talking to you, Todd Fitchett from Western Farm Press. Keep on covering the areas you're covering because I know it keeps getting interesting these days. And uh, stay distant, but stay safe and keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Willie. It's good, good chatting with you this afternoon. Thanks to Rod Swoboda of Wallace's Farmer in Iowa and Todd Fitchett of Western Farm Press covering California and Arizona for their contribution to this week's podcast. Around Farm Progress is our newest podcast looking at agriculture with the help of our national team. 
But we have some other podcasts you may find interesting, like Down in the Weeds with Tyler Harris of Nebraska Farmer, which deals with a range of ag issues. Or the American Agriculturist Young Farmer Podcast, where Chris Torres, editor of American Agriculturist, shares insights in ag from the next generation. You can find links to those podcasts and the daily updates from Max Armstrong at farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. Again, farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. It's worth checking out. And we continue our in-depth coverage of all things regarding COVID-19 at farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and of course, the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.